0: Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter the life crippled uh, than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. The worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. I'll ask Mitch to come up. Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Oh, preaching on the H word this morning. Hell. Fire and brimstone. We don't really hear too much of it. But um, this morning, we're looking at pruning sin, or another word for it, spiritual amputation. Now... As many of you are aware, Asher having his cardiac condition, he had to have surgery at 30 hours of life. So I only saw him for a very brief period without surgery scars. But the scars that run down his chest and on his tummy and on his back and everywhere else, they are symbols of life. Because if he hadn't have undergone that surgery as a baby and the successive surgeries afterwards, he wouldn't be alive today. Now, the point in surgery, it's either if you're having cardiac arrest, as many in our fellowship have had cardiovascular incidents, you know that you want to get to hospital, that you want those surgeons to cut you open to bring life. If you have knee pain, hip pain, broken arms, you want to undergo surgery. Yeah, it may leave a scar, but the outcome is health. The outcome is life. And that's what Jesus here is talking about. In order to enter life, it might take a bit of radical surgery. It might leave some scars. But ultimately, the choice is yet you will enter into eternity. You will enter into that place of no more pain, tears, and suffering. The other outcome, which we don't like to think about, it's hell. Jesus doesn't mince his words. So Mark chapter 9, 43 to 48 fits in the broader context of Mark and it's helpful to understand how Bible passages fit together. So Mark 9, it begins with actually Jesus um, talking about how he's going to enter into Jerusalem and how he's actually going to suffer and be killed. That's important to have in the back of your mind. So if Jesus is talking about how he's going to be suffered and killed, that's a fairly intense language that requires some sort of sacrifice. And the disciples don't get that. They're still left wondering. And then the rest of Mark goes on a bit more about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are arguing. They're saying, who's going to sit on the right and the left of Jesus? And Jesus instead gets a child. He says, hey, in order to enter the kingdom, you need to be like a child. And in the very words before that, Jesus actually says, if you cause any of these little ones, children, those who enter the kingdom, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better if a large millstone, so what donkeys would use to turn grain, was tied around you and you're thrown into the sea. And then we get the words about cutting off your hand, your foot, and your eye. Now, What's the purpose of an eye? To see. What's the purpose of a hand? Touch. Do things. What's the purpose of your feet? Walk. To do things. And what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, is that there are things in our lives, what we see, what we do, where we go, can cause us to stumble. There are things that... Perhaps we need to get rid of. Now, I have another question for you. Do you think Jesus is being literal or metaphorical? Literal or metaphorically? Should we be uh, cutting our hands off? Should we be cutting our feet off? What do you think? It's a bit uncertainty there. That's a bit scary. Um, Metaphorical, yes. Um, There's this uh, church father called Origen. and he, it wasn't this passage, but it was Matthew 19, where Jesus talks about being a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. And he read that and he took it literally. Origen suffered from sexual temptation, so he went the full hog. He got castrated. Um, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying to cut off body limbs. Because if I'm um, just having one arm or one hand or one foot, that, that's not going to make you stop sinning. Jesus actually talking about something deeper. He's talking about the root cause of sin. I once knew this guy, and he had, by his own admission, anger issues. And he had anger issues, particularly watching the footy. And so he got into this habit when he would start watching the footy, and his team would lose, and he would get really angry and start swearing and all that. He would have a pair of scissors and he would cut the aerial to the TV. Apparently, he went through lots and lots of different cables and aerials. It, so that, that didn't cause the root issue of his sin. The anger was just an outward manifestation of that. And now, in the group questions this week, I actually have a quote from a Christian psychologist called Larry Crabb. Now, Crabb argues that all behaviour... Is motivated. He actually says, like, you have an outward action. It's mo- it's driven by something internal, something within us. And he has sort of five steps for what leads from our motivation to our actions. And so, firstly, we are motivated to meet our needs. All of us have deep needs that we need to address. And so, at our core, we are motivated to perform an action in order to meet our needs. And then next step is we we meet our needs. So if our need is, say, let's take something easy food, if we're feeling hungry, we're motivated to eat something because we think that's what we need. Okay, we've got that. Then, nextly, our motivated behavior is directed towards a goal. Okay, so if our desire is food and the goal is to eat, we are motivated, we are desired in us to do something to overcome that need. So therefore, we get off, off the couch and go and prepare food for ourselves. Yes. Now, this is more of a psychological term. Now, if the goal is not reached, we begin to feel worthless. So we protect ourselves by doing something. Now, uh, I was reading about a man who we shall call Tom. Now, Tom went to see this Christian psychologist to address his pornography addiction. And the psychologist recognized that Tom's pornography addiction was actually driven by something deeper. He's, he's lusting out, he's acting out every Friday night. It was, just, it was a symptom of something deeper. And so as Tom and the psychologist started to dig deeper into it, it turned out that Tom, who is a 35-year-old single man who's been a Christian for 20 years, is actually deeply angry with God. Deeply, deeply angry with God. See, Tom says, he's like, hey, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I pray, I tithe, I serve in ministry. I've done all the things that we're supposed to as a Christian. But God hasn't come through. And see, in Tom's mind, God owes him a wife. In Tom's mind, he goes, hey, I've done everything that I'm supposed to. Now, God, you need to give me what I want. And so every Friday night when his co-workers are going home to their wives and their kids, and he's there stuck at home by himself for another evening, in that anger at God, he lashes out by looking at pornography again and again. This is sort of what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about cutting off your hands, your feet, or plucking out your eye. Now, I like, I've been using props the last few weeks, and today's prop, I want to give a special shout-out to you, Dave. This is the Indian miner trap that he has out the back. I was going to get a mouse trap, but I thought, oh, this, everyone can see this. Now, here's a fun fact. When Jesus says, um, if your hand causes you to stumble, now that Greek word stumble, it's actually part of a trap. It's the same Greek word for the, say, let's pretend this trap had a stick that you activate. You knock the stick off and your hand gets stuck in the trap. It's actually the same word. So Jesus saying, "Hey, if you're sticking your hand in the trap, you need to cut it off. Isn't that a great imagery? Sin is like a trap. Now what is the motivating cause? Because all of us have sin. all of us sin. we're all sinners and we' all fall short of the glory of God. What is the motivation for sticking your hand into the trap? Now think about what Larry Crabb says about all behavior, Is motivated. Think of that real life example of Tom looking at pornography. Jesus saying we've got to get to the root cause of the problem. And that root cause is actually going to require some radical spiritual amputation. Requires to cut off your hand, your foot, or to pluck out your eye. The reason why Jesus talks about this so much is because of the importance of it. The outcome of undergoing some sort of radical surgery, he gives it to us. It's to enter life. He says this twice. I'll read out again. It goes, if your hand causes you to sin, cut off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and going to hell. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life than to have two feet. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God. Now there, he's, Jesus reiterating this twice. Life. If you want to have life, and then if you're not sure what life is, it's entering into the kingdom. The reason why Jesus is giving us this warning is because there's something worth this. To go undergo spiritual amputation, it's necessary to enter into the kingdom. Now, before we can focus on hell, let's focus on the positive. What is the kingdom of God? It's a great question. So, I want to answer, what is the kingdom of God? When we talk about that, so I want to be brave and shout out, what is the kingdom of God? Ah funny. It's actually harder to answer, perhaps we think. See, many of us maybe have this idea that the kingdom of God is just heaven, that we just enter into heaven. But the kingdom of God, Jesus actually tells us, it's here, right now. And at the very beginning of Mark, Mark chapter 9, I should say, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, some of you won't see death until you see the kingdom's arrival. And then Jesus takes uh, Peter, James and John up onto that mountain and there Jesus is transfigured. And at that moment, this is where the kingdom has arrived. The kingdom is here right now. The kingdom is not somewhere out there in outer space, like I used to sing in Sunday school, somewhere in outer space, I'm going to a place... The kingdom is here on earth. And so why does that matter? Why is that so important if the kingdom is here on earth? So I think deep down, all of us love life. Yes? We should love life. Even though we acknowledge that death is the natural part of life, there's something sort of unnatural about it because humans weren't designed to die. We were designed to live here on earth in the presence of God. And we all know the story that Adam and Eve causing sin and then the whole world turns into chaos. So what Jesus has done, Jesus has come to remove that chaos. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that donkey, he was saying he is king over this earth. He's going to do what Adam failed to do remove the serpent from the garden. He's going to wind back the curse that's on this earth and restore this earth to its fullness, to its wholeness. That's core level sin, a bit like idolatry, because sin and idolatry really are quite interlinked. It's about placing something above God. It's about putting the creation above the Creator. And so what Jesus come to do now is he come to ensure that this earth will be restored, that it will be, that the, the very best things that we love about this earth, about our life, we magnified when the kingdom comes. Many of us are probably familiar with those final words in Revelation, the beautiful words where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, the sun doesn't beat down on people's head, that the curse is lifted. Now think about it. Think about your life. Imagine if you could live a life where you didn't have to worry about getting sick. Didn't have to worry about dying. Didn't have to worry about being hungry. And if you have pasty white skin like me, you don't have to worry about getting sunburnt in summer. The very, very best of life that we love is there when Jesus comes down. And in keeping with that Revelation imagery, Revelation uses lots of symbols. And one of them is Babylon, a harlot and Jerusalem a bride. And so what Revelation teaches us is that the harlot Babylon, which is symbolic of all evil, has to be replaced by the bride, which is the new Jerusalem, when Jesus comes and the kingdom is here and there is a new heavens and a new earth. That's what Jesus is talking about, entering life, entering to the kingdom. Now, in order to do that... You're going to need to be a little bit disfigured, symbolically, metaphorically, not literally. I don't want you to go home and cut your hands and your feet off and pluck your eyes out. But all of us need to undergo some spiritual surgery. All of us need to be disfigured to enter the kingdom and avoid hell. Now, interesting fact here, the word that's here in English, it says hell. In Greek, it is Gehenna. Now, hope that you can track with me on this. We're going to unpack a little bit of Old Testament theology. Now, Gehenna is a place... So, in Greek, it's translated as Gehenna. It's a transliteration. So, that's a fancy way of saying it's taking a word that was in Hebrew and putting it into Greek. So, yes, sounding out the word, that's what transliteration means. So, you might see this... um, Yeah, if you read a Bible commentary, the word Shalom... That's a transliteration. We write S H A L O M, shalom. That's taking the Hebrew characters and putting it into English. Now, Gehenna is a transliteration of a Hebrew word called um, the Valley of Ben Hinnon. Now, Ben Hinnon, it was this place where child sacrifice happened. Um, there was two kings, a king called Ahaz and Manasseh. And you can read about them in two kings. And these kings were incredibly wicked. And they went to this valley of Ben-Hinnon, and there they would sacrifice their firstborn son to the god Molech. Okay, so it's this place of just utter wickedness and depravity. And there was another king who came after these two wicked kings, Ahaz and Manasseh, called Josiah. And Josiah led this Yahweh revolt, so to speak. He eradicated all these wicked and idolatrous practices. And it says here in 2 Kings 23.10, he desecrated Topath, which is in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, so that no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. Okay. So you kind of stand where I'm going, you've got this valley of Ben-Hinnon, Topath, where all these child sacrifices happen, this place of just absolute depravity and wickedness. And then we have this King Josiah who destroys Topath. And there he turns it into a rubbish dump, a burning pit. Okay? And so what happened was this Ben-Hinnon, this place of evil, which Josiah destroyed, became a rubbish chip. Became to symbolise um, several hundred years before Jesus was on this earth, a place of judgment and destruction, Gehenna in Greek. So literally in Greek it says, you know, if your hand causes your sin cut off, it's better for you to enter life, main than to go into Gehenna. And Jesus describes it in this really quite horrific, terrifying language. You know, the fire never goes out. Being thrown into hell, Um, and he he uses this. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah, where Gehenna is the place where the worms that eat do not die, and fire is not quenched. It's terrifying language. And, And at the end of Isaiah, in the very last verse talks about. This is where Jesus is riffing off. I'll read from Isaiah chapter 66. So these are the last three verses in the book of Isaiah. And it says here, sites starts with something happy and something bad. So it says here from verse 22, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so, so will your name and your descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. That seems pretty happy, doesn't it? That's nice. There's going to be new heavens and new earth. People are going to come and worship. Um, But, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. That's how Isaiah finishes, pretty hectic way to finish. And so what Isaiah is doing is he's riffing off some imagery that comes earlier on in his book um, from chapter 37 and 38, where the Syrian army is surrounding Jerusalem, about to destroy it. And then the angel of Yahweh comes down one night and wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And there they're just left outside of the city. And if you want to degrade someone, you don't bury them in the ancient world. That's like the ultimate symbol of shame is to just be left outside unburied. And this is what gets complex with these images because there's Isaiah talking Literally. Or is it a metaphor? Is that in the last days when the new heavens and new earth are here and people are streaming in and out of Jerusalem and they look outside and go, oh my goodness, there are just these bodies here. And they're there and left outside, unburied. And, and he's, Isaiah's sort of riffing off, because he can hear that the fire imagery, riffing off this Gehenna, Valley of bin Hon imagery. Is he being literal or metaphorical? It's a great question. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, hell is a place where you go and you'll burn for all eternity and be miserable. Now, studying scripture and studying many of the images that Jesus talks about, often in parables, he talks about hell in the context of a parable. And parable uses metaphorical images. Regardless of whether or not you're burning, worms consuming you forever, there's utter darkness, there's weeping or gnashing of teeth, It's a bad place to go. I I know that much. It's a bad place to go. And it's such a bad place that Jesus says you need to do something radical in your life in order to avoid it. In order to enjoy Jesus' rule and reign where there's no more pain, tears and suffering. It's going to require something radical. The kingdom has to be full of amputee disciples. Simon Sinek, he's a business consultant expert, and he has this phrase that he uses called a just cause. And Simon Sinek says a just cause is a specific vision of a future state that does not yet exist, a future state so appealing that people are willing to make sacrifices in order to help advance towards that vision. I couldn't think of a better just cause than this. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, to enter into life. That is the ultimate just cause. This is a future state that we should all be sacrificing for because we know how good it's going to be. I think that's one of the struggles I had as a kid was this idea of heaven. It just seems so hanging out in the clouds, floating with God. The whole point of Christianity is that we, like Jesus, we die, our spirits go up to heaven, but then we're resurrected one day. The life that we love right now, we will get in the future. The very best, the very best that we enjoy right now, it's going to be magnified better when Jesus comes. That is a just cause where we should be willing to sacrifice for but it is going to require some amputation. To avoid our hand going into the trap, it's going to require some radical changes in our lives. And friends, is that worth fighting for? Is that worth cutting things off for? I said before, the Gehenna, Hades, hell, all that, Fire and brimstone language is terrifying. So I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but it's bad. It's bad. So in the ancient world, the ultimate way to desecrate someone was to leave them unburied. It's this type of language Jesus is tapping into—you're going to be there, left. I'm outside the city. It's going to be a place of darkness, a place of fire. And where or not that actually happens is not the point. The point is that this is something terrible. The point is Jesus offers something greater to enter into life, to enter into the kingdom. Now, I shared earlier that Asher's body has been riddled with scars pretty much from day one. I've got a picture of him as a little bubba. I can see his chest. It's just... No scars whatsoever. It's a lovely little picture, him just cuddling into me with his beanie on. But if he'd never undergone that surgery, he would be six foot under the ground today. And there's probably some of us here in this room who could say that. If I hadn't have undergone emergency surgery, I wouldn't be here today. If I hadn't had my knee cut open, I had my hip cut open, I wouldn't be able to walk. Surgery at the time, it's painful might leave a nasty scar, but that scar is there to bring us life, bring us health. In order to spiritually amputate ourselves, that may mean we have to cut off a friend. It may mean we have to actually dig deep into within us, the problems that are within us, to find out the root cause of our actions understand the, the driving motivation that causes us to sin, I remember very clearly. It's probably more Matthew five. It was Matthew five thirty. I was reading, but Jesus is the same thing. If your right eye causes you sin, pluck it out. And your right hand causes you sin, cut off. In the context of adultery, I remember it's about twenty eleven when I'd really come back to Jesus, and I had a non Christian girlfriend at the time. I remember as clear as day reading the Bible, pulled in, I was on the train, I pulled into Westmead Station, and this voice just said, clear as day, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I knew exactly what God was talking about. Get rid of that relationship. And I did. And for that, I had life. Could walk closer with God by cutting off that Non-Christian relationship that I have, all those terrible influences in my life, and start living for God more and more. And that came with scars, that came with consequence. But after undergoing that surgery, it was God's way of shaping me and refining me. And it's interesting. In, in the Old Testament, um, Hebrew male babies were circumcised on the eighth day, and, and that cutting off of the foreskin it was symbolic of the true cutting off that should have happened, all of our sinners cut us off, from, cut us off from God. And what Yahweh was saying is that in the covenant, you cut off a little bit of the flesh, the foreskin of this baby, to represent how God has actually forgiven sins. How God wants people to be in relationship with Him. In the Old Testament, any external ritual pointed to something deeper. Jesus Christ, let's kind of take that circumcision imagery. Jesus Christ, he was literally bruised. He was literally cut off from God when he went to the cross. But he was disfigured so that we could have life. And he calls the same for us. In all for us to walk in newness in the kingdom, we too must be disfigured. And I find it interesting that when Jesus resurrected, he still has the scars on his hands, on his side, and on his feet. Eternal symbols of the price it cost for humanity to enter into the kingdom. And if that's the the price that Jesus can pay, surely we can do something similar. Surely, in order to avoid our hand and our feet from stumbling from going into the trap, we can amputate. We can undergo that spiritual surgery in order to have life. And friends, that's what Jesus calls us to do. And is that something that you're willing to undergo? Is that something that you're willing to do? Uh, in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, "Thou shall not have any gods before me. All of us they like to put something else above God. It's Jesus. Is God. Is the kingdom worth to put that idol, to put that God, to put that sin beneath Him, to undergo that surgery so that you may have life? As we have with this series, if God has spoken to you, has challenged you, and Murray has given us that chance to do some public repentance, if there's something there that you want to confess, pray about, we have the prayer corner. I'm actually now just going to give a space before we play our next song just to confess again, because all of us have sin. All of us need something to cut off. All of us have something that sucks the life out of us. We're constantly sticking our hands and our feet and our eyes into traps. And Jesus doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to live as people who've cut those things off, or to have life in its fullness. I'll just give you all a moment to pray privately before I close off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Father, as we read the words of your Son, Plans are very, very difficult, very hard to hear, but they're words that bring life. And as we know in this in this world, surgery is there to promote health, to promote wholeness, to promote life. And how much more is spiritual surgery about having the life that you intended for us to avoid that place of Gehenna, place of darkness, a place of worms? because you want us all to enter into the kingdom, to have the life that Jesus promised, to live in a world with no more pain and no more tears and no more suffering, to be there with Jesus as our Lord and Savior, ruling over this world with justice. And so, Father, I pray today that for us that need to amputate, Lord, and get our hand out of that trap, that we can do that, Lord, to undergo the spiritual surgery, Require. I pray for your Spirit's help in doing this. I give this all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.